Hello, and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman and her vital role in helping shape society. I'm one of your hosts, Kirsten Hassler, and I'm the executive director of Eagle Forum. Today, we wanted to have a discussion about the almost universal cultural acceptance of wokeism in America. And we've brought on Dr. David Azarad, who just happens to be one of my current professors in the Van Andel Graduate School of Government here in Washington, DC. Dr. Azarad is an assistant professor and research fellow at Hillsdale College's Van Andel's Graduate School of Government. His research and writing focuses on classical liberalism, conservative political thought, and identity politics. Prior to joining Hillsdale, Azarad was the director of the B. Kevin Simon Center for Principles and Politics at the Heritage Foundation. He has taught previously at American University and the University of Dallas. He's a native of Montreal and received his BA from Concordia University, his MA from Carleton University, and his PhD in politics from the University of Dallas. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Azarad. My pleasure. <laughs> Well, I think a great place to begin this discussion is the almost unanimous passage and then quick signing of the creation of a new federal holiday creating June 19th as Juneteenth or Emancipa Emancipation Day for American slaves. President Biden said that this would go down as one of his greatest honors of his presidency. He even went on to say that, quote, I regret that my grandchildren are not here because this is a really, really, really important moment in our history. By making Juneteenth a federal holiday, all Americans can feel the power of this day and learn from our history and celebrate progress and grapple with the distance we've come and the distance we have to, have to travel. He went on further to say, great nations don't walk away. We come to terms with the mistakes we may make, we made, end quote. So can you tell us a little bit about why you think Juneteenth legislation was passed today rather than a few years ago? And is this really going to be enough to satisfy um, the left? No, because their <laughs> demands are insatiable. So he said about the distance we still have to travel. Mm -hmm. This is what one needs to understand. According to the Wokies, the debt that America owes to its black uh, citizens, whether or not they be descended of slaves or not, is undischargeable. I mean, Mr. Reparations, at least the modern version of it, Tanahisi Coates, you know, who was pushing for reparations, admits that reparations would not solve the issue. So I think one thing that well-intentioned and well-meaning Americans of all races need to realize, and by the way, the majority of Americans I think hold reasonably sensible views on race. It's the ruling class, the elites, the media, the academics, the politicians, the journalists, um, the image makers whose views are unhinged, um, is that no amount of goodwill will ever placate these fanatics. So the point is not to have a debate over whether or not slavery is good or bad. No one defends slavery in America. Mm -hmm. The point is not to have a debate over should we remember slavery? Of course we should, and of course we do. The point is, should we continue to make concessions to these uh, moral terrorists? And my answer is an unambiguous and resounding no. You don't cave in to blackmail. It, it will not buy you any goodwill. All it will lead to is the next round of demands. And this is something that Republicans and conservatives really, really need to grow a spine on is to stop being afraid of being called a racist by the left. Everyone's a racist by today's standards. 
It is also to stop trying to curry favor with the power brokers and to say, look, I'm not a racist. Will you be nice to me now? Mm -hmm. That never wins. I, I mean, Bush, they claim, I mean, George Bush, who's, you know, the embodiment of an establishment squish, they went after Romney. It doesn't matter what you say or do, they'll always oppose you. So um, I, I, I think it is a foolish uh, uh, strategy to try to curry favor with them, placate them, and, and display goodwill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I guess, what do you foresee next? So we, we've, we've passed Juneteenth, and it's never going to be enough. So where are we going to go from here? Well, we're, we're going we're gonna to keep at, you know, there have been some, I mean, the current reigning dogma is already pretty clearly fleshed out, i.e., we demand, let's focus on the issue of race since you brought up Juneteenth. African-Americans represent 13 point something percent of the general population. We expect to see 13% of Blacks, at least, in all of the good realms of life. And we expect to see no more than 13% of Blacks in all of the bad realms of life, i.e. incarceration, high school dropout, death row, you name it. And anytime we see a disparity, there's only one acceptable explanation. It's racism. It can never be uh, in any way to the slightest extent that Blacks themselves may have any role to play whatsoever in their failures. Never. They're always completely morally absolved. They essentially, you know, it's almost you want to say they don't have free will or they only have free will to do good things. It's impossible for them to do bad things on their own that part of the human soul somehow is not present in them. And so uh, they're going to continue to push to achieve, to eliminate these disparities everywhere. So President Biden a few weeks ago was talking about narrowing the wealth gap. Uh, colleges now are, so I mean, that's going to have to come through some form of expropriation mm -hmm. or massive wealth transfers. Colleges, you know, who've been practicing affirmative action for decades now, and affirmative action basically means lowering standards to admit underqualified and in some cases unqualified black applicants. They're now moving to, let's just get rid of, of standards altogether. So they were getting rid of testing in order to get to the magical 13% number. Uh, they're going after the police now and the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. So Michelle Alexander wrote a book that has played a large part in the woke police hysteria, the new Jim Crow that she published about 10 years ago. The whole criminal justice system is racist. This explains why there are so many young black men in prison, not the fact that they commit so many crimes. So we're gonna to continue to go after that. So the logic, the end goal has already been spelled out. It's about continuing to apply it mm -hmm. with singular ferocity. And I should add, in punishing and canceling anyone who has the temerity to call this madness into question. Yeah, and, and which is why we've probably seen every single major business and some small ones, you know, accept this. Yeah, the, you know, the, so I, I would distinguish the big businesses from the small ones. Yes. You know, I, I think the small ones, uh, more of them may be adopting a defensive strategy mm -hmm. of putting up the BLM sign so their stores don't get burned down. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Vaclav Havel tells the story in, the Czech, uh, in Czechoslovakia during the Cold War 
about a, a green grocer who put up a workers of the world unite sign in front of his green grocery in front of his grocery store not because he was a believing communist but because he wanted no trouble with the authorities mm -hmm. um, I, I suspect there's some of that going on although look let's be honest you know in big cities uh, the people tend to be pretty blue and pretty woke I suspect a lot of the independent coffee shops that put up the BLM signs do so out of sincerity mm -hmm. big big businesses are different um, I, I, there, I, I think it's not so much to protect themselves from rioting and looting, but it is to signal to the elites that they're good. It is to uh, morally launder their privilege, their wealth, and their corporate nature. Mm -hmm. So there is some sincere wokeness in elite corporate America. I mean, after all, you know, these people live in big cities and went to elite colleges more often than not. But there's a lot of defensive uh, performative wokeness too to uh, say, well, you know, just leave us alone. Let us make obscene amounts of money, but we can be the good guys because we fly the gay flag and we support the LM. Yeah. So do you think that this is our culture's uh, version of religion? This is our piety? Yeah. I mean, depends what you mean by religion. Yeah. Um, so if, you know, uh, there's, I guess, good and bad religion, uh, this would be... Um, <clears throat> I mean, mostly bad religion, i.e. fanaticism and intolerance, a zeal to punish and persecute heretics, um, a close-mindedness. Um, and it, it is, with the, with the difference being, you know, it, it gets compared to Christianity often about the, the, this language of slavery is America's original sin. Mm -hmm. The big difference is that Christianity offers the promise of salvation, of redemption from sin, yeah. grace, there's forgiveness. Uh, this is a religion of sin with no hope of salvation. Slavery, they claim, is America's original sin, and this is one sin that cannot be washed away, that cannot be forgiven. Um, it also is, you mentioned, it is the fundamental piety of the regime. Uh, it's not it's wokeness, but in particular, the race question, and in particular, the black-white issue. I mean, the one word we're not allowed to say in America is the N-word. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting we should say it, but why this word and not the name of God? Why is it that the sin that gets you canceled, deplatformed, and demonized is to say something that is deemed to be racist, rather than, I don't know, to proclaim that you don't believe in God, to have killed someone, to burn the flag, to abandon your family. You can think, look, every society has piety. It's not possible to live in a society without a piety. The only issue is, which piety should we have? Mm -hmm. And the current piety on race is unsustainable and fuels uh, the fanaticism. This is why, to return to the point I, I made to you first, the right really needs to stop playing by the left's rules. Now, lest my comments be misconstrued, I don't mean to suggest we should become racist. Mm -hmm. I just mean we cannot accept that allegations of racism are the absolute worst possible thing that anyone could do in any context today in America. You know, it would be one thing if we were talking of having this debate 50 years ago or 100 years ago yeah. when there was a lot of real anti-black racism in the country. Today in 2021, there is much more anti-white racism in America than there is anti-black racism. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I, I think, you know, we've talked a lot about this in, in the political sphere, but now we're, we're really seeing this moving towards education, not just higher ed, but also in our elementary schools, our high schools, through critical race theory. Can you just explain what critical race theory is, you know, to go super deep into it, and then why it is so dangerous? I mean, I'll start with the second, why it's so dangerous. I would put it to you this way. If you were an enemy of America, if you were the Chinese or the Iranians or the North Koreans and the Russians, and you wanted to really weaken us, you would be promoting critical race theory and woke doctrines more generally. I mean, critical race theory is basically wokeness applied to race, but the same logic applies to the men, women, gay and straights, transgender and God, I can't believe I'm about to use this word, cisgender, when <laughs> the stuff they make us come up with. Um, it, it is immensely divisive and uh, is absolutely incompatible with any idea of a common good or any sort of a country or a fellow citizenship. Its basic teaching is that um, whites are evil, whites are racist, whites are guilty, blacks are innocent, Blacks are good, uh, and whites must be punished and humiliated in perpetuity for what they have done and continue to do to blacks. And if you say, well, what evidence do you have today that America is a massive conspiracy against blacks? They say, look at the unequal group outcomes. Pick any metric you want. Now, of course, they don't look at, say, you know, NBA rosters. Uh, where blacks are vastly overrepresented. Like I said, they pick <clears throat> good realms of life with their, where blacks are underrepresented or undesirable life outcomes where they're overrepresented and say, look at these disparities. In and of themselves, they're evidence of racism. Because if we didn't have racism, we'd have 13% everywhere. And if you say, well, hold on one second, maybe it has to do with, I mean, racism may be part of the explanation, but maybe culture has something to do with it. Well, that's racist. Or if you go the route of Charles Murray and say, yeah, maybe culture, but there may also be some biological differences between the races that could explain part of these differences. Well, then you're definitely a Nazi. There's only one acceptable explanation all the time, and that justifies all their measures. So critical race theory is not new. Uh, I think the mistake that the left made was giving it this kind of ugly, unappealing sounding name. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, it has led to a backlash that is, I mean, that's actually encouraging. But in a sense, it's the old, you know, social justice stuff. It's identity politics. Um, you know, to, to a certain extent, it even is the, what the civil rights <clears throat> movement and the civil rights revolution of the 60s was almost from the get-go, this expectation of equal group outcomes. Now, there's a big difference. You know, MLK gets called Dr. King. Um, he was the Reverend King. He mm -hmm. was a, a Christian first and foremost. And he preached brotherhood, forgiveness, and reconciliation. He did embrace the expectation of equal group outcomes, even though he spoke of colorblindness. Um, that disappears. There is no more love, no more forgiveness, no more my white brothers. It's punishment and hatred. 
Yeah. So I, I guess now, if you could give us a diagnosis of where the conservative movement stands today in light of all of this, you know, the critical race theory and just the complacency. I mean, last year, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin blocked the Juneteenth um, legislation from being passed. This year, he released a statement that just said there's no appetite for any sort of debate. So I mean, I, I mean, you definitely indicated that the conservative movement is just kind of we've it seems like we've kind of just stepped aside. So how can we help, you know, push against this a little bit better? And where do you see the party moving forward from this? Well, I would distinguish the conservative movement and the conservative base from the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. As you well know, uh, the conservative movement is much more to the right than the Republican Party. I mean, yeah. on a good day, the Republican Party is an imperfect vehicle to advance conservative ideas. Uh, on a bad day, you know, it's borderline indistinguishable from the Democratic Party. That being said, you know, the widespread problem I see on the right, whether it be elected representatives or intellectuals, is accepting the left's moral framework that racism is the worst possible sin, that we need to have a degree of intolerance vis-a-vis -vis it that dwarfs any other kind of intolerance we have for bad and dangerous ideas, coupled with um, an excessive solicitous solicitousness vis-a-vis -vis our fellow black citizens. Um, there's a large part of the right that you see it in the rhetoric and in the actions that really seems to think, if maybe they don't come out and say it, that black well-being is and black inclusion in various realms is the measure of justice and success for America. And I, I think if you accept these premises, you're left with the pathetic cries of Democrats are the real racists and trying to say, well, look, conservative solutions are actually the ones that better serve the black community. I believe they do, by the way. Um, but that's a losing strategy, and it's been a losing strategy now for decades. So my advice to the right would be for it to free itself from the left's moral obsession with racism and to no longer have a bad conscience vis-a-vis -vis black Americans. Allow me to explain, since this is an explosive subject. You know, take the case of Native Americans. You know, if we're doing the oppression Olympics, arguably the second most mistreated and oppressed group in American history. No one really cares about them today. I, I don't think anyone hates them particularly, but no one shows any particular solicitousness vis-a-vis -vis them. By the way, there's a good argument that we should because, I mean, their communities, to the extent they still have them, are in horrible shape with suicides, substance abuse, gambling. I mean, it's a disaster. No one really seems to care. Uh, you know, take the Mormons, another group that has really been mistreated in the past in American history. Most people neither particularly love nor particularly hate the Mormons. They just don't think about them all that much. I think that the way forward for America and for the right would be to treat our fellow black citizens the way we treat you know, our fellow citizens of Italian descent, of Polish descent, of Jewish descent. Uh, it's just, you know, they're there, you're nice to people. When they do something bad, you punish them, but you're not obsessed with them for better or for ill. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, and I think that's definitely a doable thing for us. I, I, a lot of times 
the left is just so much more organized than us in terms of getting their agenda done. And so I think that will be difficult. You know, we've seen a lot of people in terms of bathrooms, some people get fired up about that, like when Target did the transgender bathrooms, but it is hard when you feel like no one really cares to really push back against this. I don't, I don't share your optimism on this one. I, I'm, I wouldn't say it's undoable. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother talking to you and, <laughs> and saying, defending the heretical things I'm defending. But it's going to, I mean, this is the gaping wound in the American consciousness is the issue of race, understandably so. I mean, it's an ugly history. There are some very ugly things in the past that, by the way, no one defends today. No one but the most marginal of internet trolls defends segregation or, uh, or slavery or the idea that one should mistreat our fellow black citizens today. Uh, I just think that the, the, the left's ultimate power is the accusation of racism. Uh, it really hurts to get one because you get canceled and the right just doesn't protect its own. I think that the right is more eager to cancel some of their own who have said something that is quote unquote racist than it is to say, to hell with the New York Times, to hell with Nancy Pelosi. This person's not a racist. This is not our job to be doing endless purges on the right of people who the left says are racist. We're done playing by these rules. Yeah, so we always like to end our podcast with just a, a question. So what are you reading right now? And what books or what publications do you encourage our readers to find great information about just the truth and you know, just living, living life? Okay, uh, two good questions. Well, I'll show you what I'm reading right now. I have it with me in my office. Um, it's a book by Herman Bells, whose uh, the book is called Equality Transformed, A Quarter Century of Affirmative Action. It was published, uh, I don't know by whom. Uh, <laughs> Bells is a retired professor of history at the University of Maryland, a really fine scholar and a gentleman, I should add. And this is a book that retells the history of basically how Americans were promised non-discrimination with the passage of the 64 Civil Rights Act. And what they got instead, very rapidly, were racial preferences across the board. Um, it's, uh, it's not light beach reading, mm -hmm. really meticulous and detailing, uh, the bait and switch tactic that ha that happened from the beginning. Um, th that's what I'm reading right now. In terms of what I read, um, I should tell you, since I left Heritage and I came into the Academy, I, I, I read the news considerably less. I, I, I've unplugged a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it's better for the soul. I mean, I, I, you need to follow what's going on. I'm a big fan of the American Mind, uh, mm -hmm. the Claremont Institute's online publication that they launched, I think, two years ago. And I find is really in that sweet spot of they've cultivated and identified a lot of good young writers. And they're not just writing about tax cuts, school choice, missile defense, and, you know, the issues of, you know, Reaganism 1.0, they're really in the public square and making bold arguments about what's going on with tech, what's going on with woke capitalism, what's going on with feminism. Um, I, I, I find, and they don't publish too much. That's the other nice thing. 
you know, you, you can uh, you can read a week's worth content in a couple of hours. Okay. So I, I'm I'm a big fan um, a big fan of the American mind. Well, great. Thank you so much for your insight and this great discussion, Dr. Azarad. If you have a second, we'd really appreciate it if you consider subscribing to Engage with Eagle Forum, sharing with your friends, and leaving us a review. You can find us on all the major social media platforms and at engagewitheagleforum.com. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.